Christ City family, hey, good morning, saints. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Um, it is uh, a blessing uh, to see you as we gather together to remember God's promises this morning. Um, as we've been preparing for worship today, uh, the national tragedies and the displays of violence in D.C., they have uh, nationally and in D.C., they've weighed heavily on us. Uh, and we suspect that they've weighed heavily on you. The cascade of news over the past weeks, the racially motivated violence in Dallas and Buffalo, ethnically motivated violence in California, and the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, combined with the ongoing gun violence here in D.C., violence that claimed the life of a young man this week and left a teenage girl clinging to life as we gather here. It's reached a level that has left us reeling more than usual, needing our church to be a place that helps us hold our sorrow and that points us towards joy in the midst of it. So today as we gather, our liturgy is going to reflect some of the emotional and spiritual journey some of us, probably all of us, have taken this week and in recent weeks. Today's service is going to look slightly different from our normal order. We're going to profess, as we have done already, we're going to profess our faith in the one whose kingdom is marked by peace and healing and righteousness and justice. We're going to profess that faith as much as we are able this morning, as much as we are able in the midst of grief. I know some of y'all are ready. You're like, man, I've been waiting, been rough, glad to be here, let me rejoice again, uh, let me say it again. Some of you are ready, some of you aren't quite ready. That's okay. You simply need to be surrounded by people who are ready as a way to borrow their faith, if you will, and to carry you through the days ahead. We're going to spend some time lamenting this morning, lamenting the ongoing brokenness of our nation. We will name the sin and the sorrow and confess to the Lord our collective ache at the idolatries that exist in our country and culture that are mangling the flourishing of those that bear God's image. And we're going to practice joy, the kind of joy that is both a protest and is prophetic, the kind of joy that exists even in the presence of violence and injustice and the kind of joy that comes from the Lord's presence even in the midst of heartache. Joy that comes from the Lord and is a strength for the day. So saints, we're going to worship today as we already have. We need one another in all seasons of life, but particularly in moments and in seasons like the one we find ourselves now navigating. So, so let us profess, professing to one another and to the Lord and to the powers and principalities who aim to steal and kill and destroy, let us profess that our God is able and that our God is trustworthy and our God is here. Let us profess that our God is our rock and our refuge in times of trouble and that God is merciful and mighty to save. So let us profess this morning, even with the psalmists in Psalm 61, hear our cry, O God. Listen to our prayer. From the ends of the earth, we call to you. We call as our heart grows faint. Let us lead us to the rock that is higher than us. For you've been our refuge, a strong tower against the foe. We long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you, God, you have heard our voices. You've heard our vows. You've given us the heritage of those who fear your name. Let us, church, profess together our souls find rest in God. Our hope comes from him. Truly, God is our rock and our salvation. God is our fortress. We will not be shaken. 
Our salvation and our honor depend on God. He's our mighty rock, our refuge. We trust in him at all times. We pour out our hearts to him, for God is our refuge. As we continue to move through the liturgy, let me pray for us in this moment. God, we come to you. We, we profess our trust and our faith in you. We say to you as much as we're able in this moment that you are trustworthy. We look to you. We call to you. We name you as our Lord and the one to whom we look in moments of tragedy and in moments of triumph. God, I pray that you would hear our prayers. And God, that in this moment that you would minister to us, that you would be to us and for us all that we need for you to be in this moment. And God, that your presence would be a balm over us all. We pray this in the one who is our rock and who is our refuge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And in case you weren't here earlier when uh, Watson was introducing how we're, we're, we're doing things a little bit differently this morning in our service uh, to reflect uh, some of the events of the last few weeks and, and our response to them. Uh, we are still, this is the last week of our Living the Resurrection series, and as we were talking about how, what to do this week and how to respond, we felt there is no better way to live the resurrection than to figure that out in the midst of reality, in the midst of all the things that, that are going on. And so uh, I'm going to share a little bit uh, the, this sort of second part. So the first part was the profession. This second part is the lament. And then Watson will come back after and, and talk about joy. And all three of those are parts of living the resurrection. Poet Langston Hughes wrote, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. When hard things happen, when suffering shows up, when loss lingers, when we wrestle with gun violence again, and white supremacy again, and again, and again, and again. What do we do? We have so many options now. We can rage. We can doom scroll. We can numb. We can distract ourselves. What do you do? What do you do? response that is modeled for us in the Bible is a practice of lament. Almost one-third of the 150 psalms that we have are psalms of lament, but author and pastor Eugene Peterson notes that up to 70% of the psalms contain some lament. You may be familiar with some of them. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words Jesus cried out from the cross. Or Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations, written by the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Habakkuk begins his writings with words that may resonate with us. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell before you come to the rescue? 
Why do you force me? Why do you force us to look at evil and to stare trouble in the face day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place. Justice is a joke. The wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its head. We don't spend a lot of time in grief. Uh, understandably so. It's uncomfortable. It's overwhelming. There's so much of it to deal with. Uh, the last two weeks with Buffalo and Laguna Woods and Uvalde have felt like a perfect storm of suffering, and that's not even to mention the ongoing conflict in Ukraine or the violence in our city or the things that's going, that are going on in your own lives. It can feel like we actually don't have the capacity to properly process it all. And let me say, we don't. We don't. We weren't meant to be exposed to this much suffering and tragedy any time and all the time. And so it's okay to not know what to do with all of it. Some of us need to hear that. Especially in this city or in this, maybe in your line of work where you are paid to know what to do. But really for all of us who find it hard not knowing, who find it hard not being in control, we need to, we need to be able to hear that. It's okay to not know what to do in the face of all of this tragedy and sin. Biblical lament is grief carried to God. Biblical lament is grief carried to God. And what we learn from the brutal honesty of words like those in Psalm 13 or Psalm 22 or in Psalm 44 when the psalmist accuses God of walking away from the people he promised to protect and yells, Get up, God! You're going to sleep all day? Or Psalm 88, why, why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? What we learn from the example of our forefathers and foremothers of faith is that nothing is off limits with God, that no prayer is inappropriate. No prayer is inappropriate with God. Our God is big enough to handle anything and everything we have to throw God's way. You know, we might think that Christians aren't supposed to feel a particular way. Sometimes, especially all the feelings that we've felt these last few weeks. Devastating despair, debilitating anger or agony, riotous rage, or just helpless and hamstrung. But we do feel that way sometimes. Whether we think that we should or not, we, we do feel that way. And so the question is, when we feel that way, what do we do? We could act it out, which often leads to destruction and perpetuates a cycle of violence. We could deny it, which is repression, and we all know that comes out some places with somebody else, maybe. Or we can carry it to God can choose to lay it all before the only one who can handle it all and handle it all rightly. You know, don't get me wrong. Therapists, counselors, spiritual directors can help, and I say that from experience, but no human being was ever meant to carry the weight of another person's soul. None but Jesus. 
anger isn't bad per se. It tells us something about ourselves. But note where the Psalms tell us to take it. Note where the Psalms tell us to take our despair. Note where the Psalms tell us to take our helplessness. To the one who stays with us even as we beat our fists. The one who holds us close and says, I can take it. Tell me everything. In her book, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown created a manifesto for wholehearted parenting. And there's a line that reflects well, I think, God's heart for us, God's children. It says, together we will cry and face fear and grief. I will want to take away your pain, but instead I will sit with you and teach you how to feel it. To live the resurrection is not to live in a fake world. It's not to live in a world where we make believe or where we pretend to be something that we are not. It is to live fully in this world. It is to live the eternal kind of life now and then into eternity. Psalm 13, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the biblical examples of lament. It's short. It's only six verses. And in the course of six verses, it goes from, from pain in, in verses 1 and 2 to prayer in verses 3 and 4 to this in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your faithful love, God. My, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. Yes, I will sing to the Lord because he has been good to me. Now, as much as we would love for our pain and our grief to be transformed into praise in the span of six verses... We know it isn't that easy. You know, I, I would be surprised if everything was suddenly better for the psalmist from the you know, beginning of writing that, those words to the end and he was, everything turned around. He just got a text that let him know it's all good. But I don't know that life works like that. I, I don't know that God works like that. Sometimes. But instead, what happens and what's possible when we practice lament, when we name our pain and we bring our prayer to God, is that we gain perspective from God. We find focus and fuel in the struggle for justice and restoration. We are strengthened for the setting right of those things we are crying out against. Grief can make us more empathetic, can make us more compassionate, more gracious. Anger, when focused into righteous action, can bring lasting change for others. In our despair and in our darkness, God can and often does surround us with the very people we need to not grow weary in well-doing. I saw resurrection echoes this week in, in how so many responded, including here in our own church community, coming around one another with texts and calls and, 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 and prayers and emails and donations and recommitting to the hard work of anti-racism and ending gun violence. I was inspired by a piece written by poet Amanda Gorman. You may have seen it in the New York Times. She wrote it in the aftermath of the Uvalde shooting. It's entitled Him for the hurting. And though it may not name God explicitly, it stirs in me through lament and hope a vision of God's kingdom on earth. It goes like this. Everything hurts. Our, shadow, our hearts shadowed and strange, minds made muddied and mute. We carry tragedy, terrifying and true. And yet none of it is new. 
we knew it as home, as horror, as heritage. Even our children cannot be children, cannot be. Everything hurts. It's a hard time to be alive and even harder to stay that way. We're burdened to live out these days while at the same time blessed to outlive them. This alarm is how we know we must be altered, that we must differ or die, that we must triumph or try. Thus, while hate cannot be terminated, it can be transformed into a love that lets us live. May we not just grieve, but give. May we not just ache, but act. May our signed right to bear arms never blind our sight from shared harm. May we choose our children over chaos. May another innocent never be lost. Maybe everything hurts, our hearts shadowed and strange. But only when everything hurts, may everything change. So I want to invite us, Christ City, to practice lament together today. And first we'll practice it individually, and then we will pray a prayer together. You should have on your seats or near you an index card as well as a pen. As you take time to write, um, maybe a psalm of lament might just be a list or a word or, or feeling. What is it that you want to say to God? Name the pain. Offer the prayer. And perhaps find the perspective. Name, name, the, name the hope that you are clinging to. Name the truth about God that you are depending on. Our soundtrack for this moment will be um, from our worship arts director, from Jocelyn, who is going to be um, singing in a, a, an old spiritual. It's me, O oh Lord. It's reflecting the heart and the reality that all of us stand in need of prayer. And so as she sings, I want to invite you to take this time to write your lament. Isaiah chapter 55 begins with these words. Come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. All you who have no money. Come buy and eat. These are God's words to God's people through the prophet Isaiah. These are words... Uh, these words are coming to a people that are devastated and that they're, they're, they're broken. They're, they're people that's at the end of their rope. They're at the end of themselves. They're held captive by violence and by violent people. They're discouraged. They're, their future is uncertain. And yet it's into this context that God says to them, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. 
You've got no money. Come and buy and eat. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on them. God goes on. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and then make it flourish and bud so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty, but it will accomplish. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Verse 12, you will go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills, they will burst forth into song. And the trees and the fields, they'll clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the juniper will grow. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. It's going to be an everlasting sign that will endure forever. These days have been gut-wrenching. They've been filled with sadness and with anger and rage, and some of it even directed at God himself. Sometimes we've prayed and wondered, how long, O Lord, the path forward has seemed unclear, and it has seemed bent on violence and oppression in its most brutal forms, corrupt power, unchecked. And all of this has seemed like the order of the day as we are being led by the legions of death. And in this moment... God might be saying to us, as he said to his children in Babylon, come to me. Whoever's thirsty, come to me, those who got no money. Come to me, those who, who don't have any food but have a deep hunger. Come to me, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice and peace and an end to violence. Come to me, those who long for an end to unfettered access to weapons of war. Come to me. Perhaps in this moment, God is whispering to us through the ancients that it won't always be this way. Though we are in dark days, we still have access to joy. Perhaps in this moment, God is saying to us, you will go out and joy. Joy is, joy is, is sometimes equated with happiness, but they are quite different. Happiness is momentary and it's fleeting and it comes and goes with whims and it is dictated by circumstances and, and situations, but joy is deeper. Joy is much deeper. Happiness, it is said, exists in the face, but joy exists in the hearts, in the soul. Joy is named as one of the fruit of the Spirit alongside love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Gifts the Spirit gives despite circumstances or situations. And uh, perhaps better said, gifts given by the Spirit in the midst of any circumstance or any situation. Church, we can choose joy in the midst of these moments because joy isn't governed by these moments. 
I don't mean a joy that's naive or blind to the pain or to the sorrows in the world and in our lives, but a joy that is found in spite of, in the midst of, in protest to, in defiance of, in confrontation with, and in rebellion to the violence of these days. That's where joy resides. That's the joy that God offered to our spiritual forefathers and foremothers in Isaiah 55. And that's the joy that God is extending to us in the midst of our pain and our rage and our lament, even in this moment. It is God's promise to us. It is God's promise to us in his word that there won't always be thorn bushes and briars. Won't always be AR-15s that murder elders in grocery stores and slay children in schools. Won't always be violence and death. Won't always be injustice and racism. Won't always be this way. God will not be mocked continually by the death of his saints. In the midst of these tragedies, we can choose joy because God promises to us through these ancients and renewed in this moment. His word to us is that we can and we will go out in joy. We will be led by the way of peace. And in response, the mountains and the hills will burst into song. The fields and the trees will clap their hands. Who wants to clap their hands this morning in the midst of violence? And in response to joy and in the leadership of peace, the streets and the row houses and the playgrounds and parks and the community centers and the senior centers and the hair salons and the churches and grocery stores and elementary schools will burst into song. Because God's promises, his promise is that we will be led out of this moment in joy by the way of peace. That's how we can have joy in the midst of days like today. Let me pray for us. Oh, Holy Spirit. Lord, I said it and I believe it, but help my unbelief. I may not be the only one, but God, I trust in you that you might lead us in this moment, that you might minister to us, that you might carry us, that you might remind us that in you we have joy, in you we can have peace, in you we have strength that we need for even these moments. So God, we look to you. We need you. We reach out to you and we call upon you. Minister to these saints in this place, in this moment, those that are uh, here in person, those that are watching through through the technology we got. Holy Spirit, move and minister. Let the scriptures, let the words, let the, the poets and the prophets wash over us. I pray this in Jesus' name. We have heard from a number of poets. We have heard from a number of prophets. We're going to hear from another. Uh, poets in our midst, Amy Sawyer. She prepared a piece for us to remind us of what it is to have joy in the midst of days like today. Amy. 
Uh, this poem is called American Linden, and a linden is a tree you'll see a lot in, um, on the sidewalks in D.C. Um, and I wrote this after reading uh, Acts 17 a lot in the last week, which is what we talked about last week as well. So you'll hear some um, snippets from Acts 17 in there as well. American Linden. Rebuking the inevitable, a linden leaf pressed itself into the sidewalk's fresh concrete unwilling to decompose without defiance. A perfect, lifeless leaf imprinted in pavement. You bend to examine the etching. Fingers follow the leaf's heart shape, as if a child traced love into pavement, toying with permanence. You feel the leaf's bloodless veins, boneless skeleton, for memory holds form but not essence. We carve our names, tag our alleys, build gleaming monuments, like children pressing their palms into wet cement, just to say, we are here. Remember, we were here. But our foundation is not of stone and cement. We are heirs to life. For the linden trees still live and move, and we find our being above us. Spring still comes, relentlessly it comes, and the roots fed by today's death will erupt below, someday, cracking this sidewalk, our lives unearthed. For joining us uh, this morning. I'm delighted that you're here. Um, if this is one of your first times here, welcome. Glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us on this um, uh, unique and meaningful morning. You can fill out a connection card and drop it when we head out. If you have any questions about how to get involved in the life of our church, you can speak to any of the staff. You can speak to any of your neighbors. Talk to them. If they don't know, then just ask the next neighbor. They'll find somebody that can tell you what to do next. Um, but let me pray for us as we go out. God, I do pray that we go out as, in joy. That we'd go out as as the lindens that we would go through and that we would break through the concrete and the violence and the oppression as an expression of your inbreaking kingdom, God. That we would be carried along not by our own strength, that we wouldn't be sustained by our own efforts or even efforts of those around us, God, but that collectively we would be sustained by you and your work and your life in us, in the midst of us. Father, I pray we wouldn't grow weary in well-doing, even in the midst of opposition, God, but that we would know that the battle is yours, the victory is yours, and that we will go out in joy and be led by the way of peace. We thank you for this. We pray this in the majestic and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.